Thanks for stopping by. It's Extra Energy for Breakfast, where you get a little behind-the-scenes peek sometimes on what's been going on on the show and also the highlights, basically, from Triple M Southwest Brecky Show. I'm currently gearing up for the Bustleton Jetty Swim. It's on the 12th and the 13th of February. I'm so excited about it. It was one of my favourite things I did last year. I did the swim as part of a team. We did it in four, so I had to swim a K. I got so full of bravado that I agreed to swim the Bustleton Jetty Swim solo this year. (laughs) And I'm just going to square with you about my training schedule. I've been very half-assed about it. It's like less than three weeks away and I'm freaking out a little bit. But this week I did swim 35 laps of a 50-metre pool, which means I have done half of what will be required of me. So when I finish up this podcast, that's where I'm heading. Off to do some laps and kick my own butt. I think one of my favourite things that happened this week was Triple M's biggest scab. Pablo gave me an initial challenge and I followed it down the rabbit hole and we have come to a hilarious ending. Pablo literally could not stop laughing and I hope you enjoy it as much as he did and it gives you a much needed giggle this week. Angie's a scrappy backpacker from way back. Scrimping on the small stuff to save for the big adventures. Pablo, well, he's a tight ass. But who will be Triple M's biggest scab? So cheap. And here we are. It's Friday, which means we have to close this loop. Triple M's biggest scab challenge was presented by Pablo this week to me. Good morning. Good morning, Angie, and I was inspired because we like to set each other a challenge to track something down, find someone, or complete a mission, and I spoke about bad Christmas presents that I've been given in the past, and mine was some balls, so I said, what can you do? What in the southwest have people been given? (laughs) You can't leave it there. You can't say I was given (laughs) some balls for Christmas, because some people would say, hey, do you know what, Pabs? That's actually a great Christmas present. Some metallic balls that you hang on the back of your car, on your toe ball. I'm never using them. That's the worst Christmas present <laughs> that I've ever been given. What did you find, though? Well, it was Ali who does our street patrol that kicked it all off for us this week. And Ali brought to us a terrible Christmas present. I think one of my worst Christmas presents, don't get me wrong, Dora the Explorer is a great show, but not for a 16-year-old. <laughs> and... <laughs> Uh, my pop and my nana on my dad's side, bless them, they actually gave me a Dora the Explorer toothbrush for my Christmas present when I was 16. 16 years old gets a Dora the Explorer toothbrush. I did find out from Ali's mum that it was actually an electric toothbrush, so a little bit Ooh. fancy. <laughs> we had Erin who got half a block of chocolate because her son had to make sure that it was safe. Uh, Stacy, every year without fail, has been given a notepad, a tea towel, and a calendar from her stepmom. And she said, Yes, she hates me, not really. Well, not completely. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very boring present. All right, this is, this is hilarious. Uh, there's a, a fella called One Arm Bandit Adventures. He said he got a pair of shoes. And I said, oh, I don't know. I got a pair of shoes that were climbing shoes once, and I was stoked. And he said, He's got no feet. So, yes, terrible present to give somebody who doesn't have feet is a pair of shoes, you peanuts. 
<laughs> but, Pablo, of all of the terrible presents that we dug up, including black jelly beans for five years in a row, <laughs> the worst Christmas present came from Caitlin, and I spoke to Caitlin yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> She's a bit of an eccentric lady. So what did you receive for Christmas that did not float your boat? Uh, When I was about 12, my sister's grandmother came to visit and she kind of, like, my siblings are a lot younger than me, so they got, like, the normal teddies and that sort of thing. And she gave me this, like, box, like the $2 boxes you get from the $2 shop. And um, inside was a bunch of, like, random magazines that, like, had obviously been read and... (laughs) A, a tweeter g-string, bright yellow, and my, I was talking to my mum, and it wasn't um, costume jewelry. It was this really heavily beaded, um, like singlet that was like see-through on the bottom, and the the boob bit was just these like almost like rocks kind of sewn onto it, so you couldn't see through it. It was um yeah, and like as I was opening it, she's like, "Oh, I used to wear that when I was younger," and I was like, "I don't really want to wear it." Oh, so it was second hand. Yeah, it was all like secondhand oh. stuff. It was kind of like a box of stuff she'd kind of thrown together because she didn't know what I would want because I was a bit older. Hang on, was, mate. Um... Hang on. Does that mean that the Tweety Bird G-Banger was secondhand as well? I, I think so. Like, I never <laughs> was brave enough to ask her, but yeah, I was like, mm, thank you so much. And it kind of just got put away at the back of the cupboard for a while. Oh, my goodness. Now, yeah. that's insane. And I think that definitively <laughs> is the worst Christmas present I've ever, ever come across. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can't get much worse than a pre-worn Tweety Bird G-banger in a box of used magazines and costume jewellery. <laughs> My goodness, I'm absolutely losing it. That has got to be by far the worst Christmas. It's a horror story, that one. <laughs> this is why we play Triple M's Biggest Scab, because oh. as it turns out, the real present that Caitlin was given from her sister's grandmother when she was 12 years old is the story. <laughs> oh, we're going to put some music on. I'm going to re- recoup myself. Get myself together. That is horrific to think about, to give that to a 12-year-old. <laughs> Welcome back to 2022 with Triple M's Biggest Gap. I'm so pleased to bring you this story. So there were 13 Department of Fire and Emergency Services staff and volleys yesterday who received a Canadian Deployment Recognition Pin. That is 13 people who left their homes in Australia in the middle of a pandemic to go and help fight nearly 300 fires sweeping through Canada last year. And a couple of the names, Jonathan Glasspool from Dunsey, Matthew Stoltenberg from Eaton Ostro. We had Michael Simpson in Waruna and Nathan Hall from Vass and Manjimup and Margaret River area who works for DFES and is on the line with me. Congratulations, Nathan. Yeah, thank you very much, Angie. So what goes through your head when the call to help comes and you have to pick up in the middle of a global pandemic, fly over the other side of the world and help fight fires over there? Oh, this one was a little bit easier for me because uh, my wife's Canadian. So it's actually, um, we actually ended up staying only half an hour away from family. So uh, it was an easy call for me to make on that one there to um, go help, uh, I guess, uh, fellow nation in, um, in need. 
Well, that, I suppose that's it, isn't it? We're all so connected these days in our global world um, that it kind of doesn't really surprise me that you had family there. But still, it's a yeah. it's a big move, and it's amazing to see that there were thirteen um, staff and volunteers that went over to fight these fires. I mean. 300 fires sweeping through the province. What was it that you guys were in charge of? Okay, so out of the group, uh, some were identified as part of an incident management team. So there was uh, a group of nine of us that went together to actually run and control um, several of these large blazes at once. And there are others that went through as single resources, so as uh, sector or division commanders, uh, plant um, and machinery sort of, uh, operators there, so it was basically a big variety of uh, different firefighting roles that they could undertake there to try and support the Canadians. Jeez, and so there was about, British Columbia was under a state of emergency uh, because it was so severe. Um, was So were the skills that the Australians brought over there um like you know, we've got very different different countries. <laughs> um, yeah. Were they transferable for Canada? Yeah, look, the the core skills of firefighting are still the same, but um, look, it's so different over there. You know, our main firefighting resourcing and technique revolves around sort of our fire appliances. Um, over there, it a lot of it relies on aerial fleet. So they've got large air tankers, skimmers, um, Type One and Two helicopters. But so many fires over there, the area got smoke logged. So a lot of their main attack um, was grounded. So they're down to their ground resources and the vegetation and terrain is so thick and steep, progress on trying to pull these fires up uh, was severely limited. So these fires just got massive runs on them and just started encroaching onto residential areas. Jeez, that sounds really intense. So was it... um was it a successful mission? I think so, yes. Um, we were fortunate enough that the fires, um, we were specifically on to the part of it. We didn't have any major losses for our incident management team. Uh, very fortunate there. But, however, there was a lot of devastation in Canada where not everything was able to be uh, saved, like uh, the town site of Linton. It was a severe tragedy for the you know British Columbia over there. So it's a lot of pressure uh, to try and sort of get our head around the local knowledge and skills and how things are done uh, in Canada and try and put that into the best effect for the greatest outcome for the community. And was it a learning curve to bring different ideas back to Australia? Because obviously being um, based between um, Vass, Margaret River and Manjimup, it's been a very busy season already. Yes, it has. So there's... Uh, look, different techniques and way things are done, you sort of take back and you go, oh, you know, can we implement this here? One of the big ones is um, obviously trying to manage firefighting during a pandemic. So we've mm-hmm. been very fortunate here in Western Australia and our time over there in Canada, we were um, obviously dealing with the pandemic uh, at that stage there. So how to manage a fire camp of three to 500 people during a pandemic uh, kept us on our toes. Oh, my goodness. And then you've come back and then we've had a, a couple of big fires here in the southwest uh, that you've been dealing with. So maybe at this point of the chat, let's just say it's really hot. It's been pretty windy. It's going to be hot for a number of days. So can everyone please be aware of what they're doing? Do not throw cigarette butts out the car. Um, don't be a peanut. Pay attention to the warnings and the total fire bans and 
All we can say is, Nathan, thank you so much to you and all the team that went across to do that. It really shows what we're made of when we go and help others around the world when they're in a, a spot of trouble, shall we call it. Yes, not a problem at all. Thank you. And uh, look, if I can just reinforce for people to make sure they've got a fire plan ready for this summer and maintain vigilance on emergency WA to keep safe this summer. Actual legend, Nathan Hall. Thank you so much. I told you I'm doubling down on talking about epic live gigs around the Southwest. So if you've ever got something happening, you need to tell me. Well, you know where to find me. These people did. They're called the Milford Street Shakers. They are bigger than at Ben-Hur on stage. They've got an amazing sound. I caught them last about a year ago where they were on stage at the river doing um, the sounds of Etta James, and it was breathtakingly beautiful. It's so much fun, and they're back. So Dom, who's on the drums, is with me this morning. G'day, mate. Good morning, Angie. How are you? Well, I'm looking forward to having the Milford Street Shakers doing back-to-back nights in the southwest this weekend. Yes, can't wait. We're at the uh, the river tomorrow night um, in Lug River and then at Halley's Bar in Bustleton on Saturday. Yes, and I'm not sure if you knew this, but there's actually fireworks in Bustleton on Saturday night because it's the end of the Festival of Bustleton. Yeah, I heard, but I, I got a, I heard as well that they're creating some fireworks for the end of our show. Definitely, definitely is, definitely yeah. is. This year, like I said before, you know, it was all about the music of Etta James and I just, mm. I learned so much and it gave me this really beautiful personal connection to to the music from an artist that, you know, you don't get to see live now. So that was a real gift for me. This year, Thank though, you. we are doubling down on the music education. We're taking everyone to Motown. That's right, yeah. So we're doing a Motown show. Um the, look, the band, we have a Motown sound, and a, a lot of people um, think that, you know, Motown is a, a genre, but it's actually a label. Um, and it has this really distinctive sound. You know, there's that tambourine on the on the backbeat, um, which makes it, you know, really full. There's, there's a horn section and there's a string section. And we try to, the, over the years, the band has just got bigger and bigger as time goes on to try and do the music justice and we're at that point now where we're a 15 piece band um, not that we're taking all 15 down but um oh, it's, look it's really it's a lot of fun and we try to pay tribute to the music and and do it right you know so you said yeah. that motown is actually a, a a record label but it was obviously very closely aligned with detroit in the united states so what is it about that sound and those artists and the impact and the stamp they made on the musical world that, you know, spoke to you guys, wanted to put a show together about it? Good question. It's the sound. Because a lot of the music at the time, the label was formed in 1959 from memory. The sound came from um, a few, like, I'd say the 50s, rhythm and blues or even swing big band era. And as music was starting to change and progress, um, the swing music, which was the pop music at the time, became a little bit straighter. Kind of not easy listening, but like, it's like a, how do I explain it? Uh, oh, what's the word here? Basically, it was a bit of a revolution in its, it in its own backyard. And what it did is, from where I was standing, is brought the, the sound of and the style of soul music and that 
awesome warm honey feel that you get from soul music but into a mainstream pop kind of accessibility so it just combined all these amazing feelings into a musical format and people just go crazy for it you nailed it and this is why dom plays the drums and he communicates motown through his instrument and his band and that's why i'm all right at talking (laughs) yes now um your front woman mia uh Matheson, she's just a force of nature. I cannot wait to see her back on stage and the full get up. Get your tickets to the river tomorrow or Halley's Bar on Saturday for the end of the Bustleton Festival. Don, thank you so much. And I think on that note, it's only appropriate that I have the mayor of the festival, uh, the events capital of the world, we decided last year on the line, Mayor Henley from Bustleton. Hello. Good morning, Ants, and good morning to all your listeners. And uh, yeah, loving loving the eighties, certainly my <laughs> genre. <laughs> so I was uh, I was a late comer in the eighties, eighty eight. Um, but what was your standout memory of the eighties? What were you doing? Oh, if you can remember the eighties, you weren't there. I think that's what they used to say about the sixties. <laughs> but uh, no, it's some fantastic, fantastic live music that that I think at small venues that. Uh, uh, unfortunately, I think our modern um, modern teenagers don't get to enjoy. But yeah, I, I remember in a very small pub in Paddington in Sydney seeing Midnight Oil play. Oh. And, uh, it was amazing when they were first kicking off. So good fun. Well, with restrictions on amount of people at events and things like that, maybe smaller gigs are going to make a comeback. Yeah, could be, could be. Um, although, yeah, space requirements and social distancing and being able to sing indoors and all of these sort of scratch your head and are we able to or not is, is um, yeah, it's a bit confusing at the moment. Well, I'm glad you're as confused as we are and that's what I wanted to get you on the show to talk about today. Not the 80s, um, but the announcement last night from Mark McGowan, the Premier of West Australia, the government has decided that we are not going to open our hard border on the 5th of February. It's obviously going to have a huge knock-on effect one way or another for a lot of people. Um, I think, would you agree with me, Grant, last year um, people would have been sort of 100% behind the decision, whereas the pendulum's starting to swing now and people are starting to, to need that border opened up. Mm. Yeah, look, it's, it's a really tough to tough decision that the, the Premier's made and, and not unexpectedly, I guess, given given uh, the spread of Omicron and what we're seeing in the eastern states. And, you know, we, we have the luxury of being able to sit back from, from behind our hard border and, and see what the impact is on the eastern states and, and uh, um, you know, make, make sure that we are prepared enough. But on the other hand, you know, I really understand there are families who've been separated for such a long time for this and, and people who have been uh, unable to have the freedom of travel and, and also for our tourism industry that relies on people coming in. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I do know certainly, uh, even amongst my own family, there's mixed feelings. Um, a lot of people who are quite happy to sit behind that hard border just a little longer. We're kind of damned if we do, damned if we don't. Like, you look at the East Coast and the disaster that's sort of unfolding at the moment. It's hectic. Um, it's causing a lot of stress as obviously a lot of death and the premiers are copying it left, right and centre. We've got us in West Australia, otherwise known as wait a while, and we're doing, you know, what's true to our name. We're just waiting, waiting. Um, It's just, it's mixed. I feel really deflated about it. I think there's going to be anger, confusion, upset. But at the end of the day, um, we need to pull together as a community. And it's cheesy to say that, Grant, but it's true, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, again, you know, the community will be split. There will be a lot of people who are who are impacted negatively by this 
um, by this decision. And but there's a lot of people in the community who have anxiety about the borders opening. So, you know, and and I can see it from both sides and and have personal uh, experience through through extended family with people who are impacted and also people who. Who, who have that anxiety. So it is a mixture. The decision's been made by the state and, and we'll abide by that and, and follow those directions. And, you know, again, just urge everyone, um, you know, we have the opportunity now to put back into place all of those good practices that have stood us in good stead for the last two years and, and we need to, to re-establish all of those. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, we can't, do much about that but what we can do is enjoy what we have here and one of the things that we have is the festival of bustleton it's been going on for oh, all of summer and it wraps up on saturday night a little bit touch and go with the weather as to whether the fireworks are going off but it all seems okay right now yeah at the moment we're looking to proceed with it and, and not unusually at this time of year there's, there's um, significant concerns with the weather and um, you know, we have uh, total fire bans and, and vehicle movements in place, etc. But uh, I, I think the, the placement of the fireworks being, uh, you know, they're let off along the jetty over the ocean. Um, there are um, There is a, a private fire operator, I understand, the festival have engaged to uh, in, ensure that safety and there are other volunteers who will be taking the place of emergency services personnel and Department of Fire and Emergency Services has made the decision to uh, minimise the public exposure of, of our volunteers and, and uh, not risk uh, an outbreak that would cripple and debilitate our ability to respond to emergency incidents. There's a lot in it, but there's also a lot of good stuff as well. We've got a Battle of the Bands competition happening, obviously the fireworks, there's going to be heaps of food trucks and the carnival rides, and it, the foreshore really comes alive at this time of year. And it's something that we can do, we can come together, we can enjoy, and we can mask up to do it. <laughs> Yeah, we can, and um, most of those events that you just listed that are part of this are predominantly, well, all outdoor events, so there isn't a, a current requirement for people to wear masks, but, but I'd ask and urge people to act um, um, to act with some common sense, and if you are going into a crowded area, you know, give yourself a bit of room. There's plenty of room along the beach to enjoy the fireworks, plenty of room on the fire, uh, on the foreshore for those events, so there's no need to, to overcrowd, and, and there's certainly plenty of... Um, uh, sanitizer and, and opportunities to wear masks down there as well and, and just do it in a safe manner. And a big shout out to Emma and her team of volunteers that have pulled this festival together by hook or by crook in an ever-changing situation. Uh, Mayor Henley, thank you so much. I'll catch you on Saturday night. Just before I play the next bit from the show, I need to confess something to you. I get offered all the reality TV interviews, The Bachelors and Married at First Sight and all of them, and sometimes I just record them but I don't always give them air unless there's something really good about that interview or something interesting or something different. Like I don't just want lame and boring and just because they were on TV, they get a spot on the show. But I did an interview this morning with Bo Ryan who left the jungle and I'm a celebrity, get me out of here. And just a heads up, he uses the word pussy a lot and I don't like that word, but that's okay. You don't have to like everything in this world. What I like is the raw, honest conversation that Bo Ryan, who is a professional rugby player and he's, you know, a big macho man, he carries the weight of the world on his shoulders, all that sort of stuff. The conversation that he and I had about his mental health and the response he's received since leaving the jungle, I just felt this conversation was very raw and very real. 
And I just wanted to give you a little bit of a precursor on, you know, how it all went down. So here it is, Bo Ryan. And on the line with me is the one and only Bo Ryan, of course, professional rugby league footballer in the day, TV personality, and a very brave man after the scenes of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here last night. G'day, Bo. Hello, thank you so much for your time. Oh, look, I think it's a really, like, you've started a national conversation, I think, with some of the words that you uttered on national TV. Now, national TV isn't a scary thing for you. You do it quite often. Nah. You host The Amazing Race. Um, yeah. But it's very different being a, uh, a contestant in a reality TV show like I'm a Celebrity, isn't it? It's different. It's And, and the show is designed to break people and... To be completely honest with you, man, like, I do regret leaving. I do. I do. I, do. I, I wish I could have toughed it out and stayed in the zone. And I had so many conversations with myself about, you know, man, like, man up. All the stuff I've been taught, but the head space I was in on that last day, I, I wouldn't wish upon anyone. I couldn't get out of my mind about my family. And we shot it in September, and it was in the middle of a pretty bad pandemic. I mean, with us in, in Sydney, we, we, we weren't allowed to leave the house, and... Um, you know, I just was thinking about my kids, man. They were, I, I thought they were freaking out. I remember going into the talkie talkie and Channel 10 rang my family. They didn't let me see it, but they said, she's fine. And then I'll come good. Um, and then once that bad thought is planted, I've got a lot of coping things that I do over here, whether I work or train, and I've obviously got my family and things to keep me busy or I talk to someone. But in there, man, you have no one to talk to. You have your, your care mates, but I, I felt like I didn't want to weigh other people down with all my drama, and I just... I couldn't handle it. And then you, you, when you when you told um, the rest of the crew in the jungle that you were leaving, this is a little bit from the show last night. I got voices in my head saying, you know, don't be a pussy, don't give up. Um, all these things I've been taught since I've been young, but um, I come in here to prove something to myself. I can't gain anything else from this show. So call it what you like, but my journey here's over. Now, what, what's interesting is a couple of things you just said to me. You know, you were like saying that, you know, you don't, you know, the voices in your head saying, you know, don't be a pussy, you know, man up, see it through. But um, something else that you said was you didn't want to burden the others with the voice, like what the voices in your head were saying and how you were feeling. Yeah. Um, but I, this is this is the crux of the conversation yeah, that I this know, nation mate. needs to have. I know. I, and you know what, I'm... Mental health in general, like I've had three mates uh, lost to suicide that I think about each and every day and I do a lot of work with Lifeline, um, the Black Dog more recently, obviously November, and I, I didn't think about that. Now, I, like my train of thought isn't, you know, you're watching a TV show, you you can't really get into someone's mind, but you do, man. As, as a man and as a, in, in my world, as a leader of my family, um, I don't really show that many scars. I don't, I don't show I'm being vulnerable, and I, I work hard, and I try and protect everyone and shield my family from around it. And I, I think I, I tried to shield my campmates from how I was feeling, and it, it just it just ate me from the inside. Um, but I didn't I didn't do that to, to to you know that wasn't my intention. But the amount of um, people who have, have reached out to me and had conversations about. So this is, and you got to remember, this is only in the last twelve hours. Yeah. Um, about people who are like, yeah, man, I, I needed to go to talk to my wife about something, or I need to go and get help. A guy I grew up with who's struggling with some substance stuff is going to go seek some help. Like just, just that stuff makes it worthwhile. Let alone seeing my family and getting to eat again. But just that stuff, um, which I've been pushing for 10, 
15 years in what I do, but to live it um, and to be in that moment, um, I do wish I I do wish I stayed, but I'm proud of how it unfolded. Mate, I couldn't be more proud of you. I don't, you know, I don't know. I know you as a TV personality, and we've chatted occasionally about the amazing yeah. race, but. I feel this incredible sense of pride and the gift that you've given in being so vulnerable. And it sounds so cheesy, but it's just so true. And thank you for having the conversation with me on Triple M Southwest today. Yeah, thanks for your time. And you know what? Like, it's been been one of the ride this show. Like, I've done some crazy stuff. I leave in a month to the amazing race. And to be honest, I'm glad um, I've put a lot of it behind me because I was really overwhelmed with the whole process of the show and then obviously watching it go to air. But... Um, I'm on my way in now to Studio Town and, mate, my phone is just, I can't explain it. But, um, you know, there's a lot of hard conversations I'm going to have with people around me that I think need to be had. But I really appreciate your time and, yeah, it's good to be home. And it's good to be human, Bo. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, well, it's all right to cry. You're not a pussy, man. You're just emotional. <laughs> and you're allowed to be. <laughs> <laughs> you're allowed to be a pussy. Introducing Mayor Miguel from the city of Bunbury. Hello, Jason. Good morning, Angie. Happy New Year and Happy New Year to your listeners. And uh, a little birdie told me that uh, you got a duck on the weekend <laughs> when you were representing the Southwest. I, I did. First day of country, it's so always good to go. Miss, <laughs> miss the straight one. So it's uh, a <laughs> long way to go to Perth to, to do that. But uh, no, all good fun, a bit of country. And the country boys are all gone really well. Well, honestly, we've had some really great results. And like the juniors uh, have been smashing it. Yes, we have. Uh, so our A grade had gone through to the, they're in the semifinal today, the B grade in the semifinal, and Bunbury's third grade side are in the semifinal today. And um, a young fella made 100 yesterday. Young Sammy Allen made 100 for us in there to get him through the final. And Tom Buchanan made 100 in the, in the first grade as well. So there's some good results happening in Bunbury cricket at the moment. Well, since you've mentioned it, I'm actually looking for people to nominate um, little legends of the game, so juniors, and we want to nominate them for Triple M's Player of the Week. So putting the call out to people involved in the clubs and parents and coaches and managers and whoever to, you know, just give them, give them some love and get their time in the spotlight and they can win the exclusive Triple M Junior Player of the Week medal. Because from backyard beginners to the next Meg Lanning or Pat Cummins, cricket is a game for everyone. Visit playcricket.com.au to get involved. Uh, that's how you got involved in being on council and now you're the mayor. That's exactly, yeah. So we better stop talking about cricket and start <laughs> talking about mayoral duties. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> now, a big one, Skyfest next week for the public holiday. It is, yes. Always a big day on the calendar. Last year was it was a little bit uh, disrupted, uh, had a few changes late. Hopefully that doesn't happen again. Fingers crossed. At this stage, we're all geared up, ready to go um, and really looking forward to a big day of events. So there's plenty happening on that day. And it's not just the fireworks. It literally starts at 7 o'clock in the morning and there's something for everyone. It looks like it's going to be heaps of fun. Absolutely, yeah. Plenty of events, the fun run in the morning and the uh, Southwest Strong Strong Man competition, I think. I, I hadn't seen that one on the schedule before, but uh, that should be a bit of fun as well. <laughs> I always love watching those <laughs> whilst I'm sitting on my butt, normally eating or drinking something not good for me. <laughs> um, also, this weekend is the uh, Country Carnival for the Bunbury... Surf Life Saving Club. It is, yeah. We'll be heading down there. That's on Saturday. I know that, again, there's a lot on going on. I think the stuff's starting from Friday night, and Saturday is the main day. But, um, yeah, we're coming into the summer of events for Bunbury, so that'll that'll kickstart thing. That's always a big day. And so be careful we'll be driving down uh, Ocean Drive that day, because I know previously uh, parking's a bit of an issue, but uh, that's because we've got 
um, hundreds of, or even thousands of people coming down to uh, to take in our shoreline. Beautiful. And why wouldn't they? So it starts on Friday with a rainbow bash, which is like a colour run thing. And then there's the family fun day, face painting and bouncy castles and all the good stuff. And you get to see um, everybody compete. So that's really cool too. But it's not all sun and surf and fun and games. You guys had your first council strategy meeting this week. We did. Council uh, got back together as of Tuesday. We're back into the swing of things. So that was all great. And to sit down, have a bit of chat about where we're going and uh, a lot of exciting stuff. And I believe our first agenda coming up next week is a, is a tidy 700 pages. So uh, straight back into work coming into what? next week. And uh, yeah, it'll be good to go. 700 pages. Or agenda and appendices, I guess. So background information. But uh, that's where we're at, really. So. And this is the thing. All this information is really accessible to us as you know people that live in our communities. And it's not just the city of Bunbury. It's the city of Bustleton and all the shires around the southwest as well. You get all that online. And quite often they're doing um, virtual you can dial in virtually and yeah. watch the meetings too. Yeah, live streaming. I uh, can always live stream our council meetings. Uh, so every Tuesday from, from 5.30, you can see what's happening around the place. And, uh, yeah, the agendas are all available online. So if there's something anything in particular to you, um, we're always encouraging getting that community feedback on what's happening. So uh, that'll be kicking off. We've obviously started having a look as well how we might moving towards that more virtual world with uh, a little bit of the unknown coming, um, but just having some sort of plans in place in case that does happen more so. But, uh, look, we're ready to go and uh, looking forward for a very exciting 2022. The City of Bunbury is in the news today, as a matter of fact, um, issued a bit of a, a, not a plea, just a call to arms to the wider community. Be nice to each other. Um, things are getting tough. People have been understaffed. We've got mask mandates. It makes people a bit grumpy. You know, it's it's getting to that stage. Um, February 5th is looming. Um, I think it was a really nice message to put out there. And I think the more that we can, the better it will be. Yeah, absolutely. I think at this at this stage now, a lot of things are outside our control and it's outside my control and your control and especially businesses people control. So at this stage, it's just about, about having some patience with things and being able to adapt and, and react to news around you. And um, if that means you've just got to be, be nice. And I know I'm saying everywhere in our community, I think Bunbury have done it very, very well. Um, but we need to make sure we keep that up because, yeah, quite often we don't want to be on that uh, that uh, other side of things when it gets a little bit, a little bit like that. But... All in all, everyone's doing the right thing and hopefully we can continue that going forward. That'll do from me. Thanks heaps for checking in. There'll be another one of these popping up next week. And don't forget, if you want to keep in the loop with all the events that are happening around the southwest in Western Australia, then you can check out the Locals Guide that's on the Listener app. If you would like to get notifications when I pop up a new one of these, please favourite the podcast. It tells my bosses that you enjoy what I'm doing which is always excellent when negotiating for a pay rise. (laughs) Be good. You've been most excellent. I've been Angie. Angie for breakfast. Triple M.